starting in verse 13. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not, inf- do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet, with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. You see, I love this passage because the people Peter is writing to are being slandered. They're being persecuted at some level. They're being intimidated. They're being threatened. And he's saying, don't let that bother you. Don't worry about their slander. Don't worry about their intimidation. You see, there's in the early church, they just kind of expected that. You know, I don't know if we just want everyone to love us today and we're just, we can't handle it if there's any rejection in our life, but we need to get over that. It's okay if people reject your views, your beliefs, your values, your convictions, your faith in Christ. It's okay. They may not tomorrow. They may not next month, but they are today, and some of us can't handle that kind of rejection. But the early church understood that was a part of what it meant to be one of the called-out ones one of the believers in this hostile environment that did not know Christ. They understood that. All of the surveys show that unbelievers today wish that believers would have more conversations with them about your faith. And so my challenge for you, for your family this morning, is just this. Will you consider, will you at least consider starting a new lifestyle, a new habit, of sharing your faith with others. Now, I'll give you a few of those ways, but you may need to have a little deeper seminar on how you do that. My brother's a great guy to do that. I'm not advertising him. I just know that he can because that's his strength. He is definitely an evangelist. But I want you to just begin to formulate a plan, an intentionality, maybe what we might call a Monday morning intentionality, right? Because... Sometimes when we go to church on Sunday and we enjoy it and we soak it up, we savor it, and the beautiful songs like John and Paul sang this morning, and and the the great time we had together, and that sense of closeness to the Lord we had, and then we get up on Monday morning and we put on our work clothes and we go out, and maybe that's the last time we ever think about the Lord or our relationship with Him until next Sunday. And I hope that's not the case, but sometimes that's the case. So I need you to think about starting a new practice, a new lifestyle. And and habits, you know, it takes time to change your habits, right? We've learned through COVID that COVID changed the church-going habits of people because if it's six weeks or longer, then the habit gets established of maybe not going, and so it's hard for them to come back. We know habits are hard, but they take time. They take intentionality, and they take a plan. Now, the first thing I want to share with you is I... As I read the New Testament, I see a clear pattern. I see multiple examples of people in the Bible, people in the New Testament, sharing their faith. Do you? Do you see it? If you think about what Jesus did in his ministry, in his Gospels, it says that he went to every village and every city preaching the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every manner of sickness. 
Jesus came preaching a gospel of repentance. Repent and believe the gospel. We see him telling Nicodemus there in John chapter 3 that what? You must be born again, right? We see him talking to the uh, Sumerian woman at the well and having that conversation with a woman which broke all, you know, uh, social and, 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 and race barriers and everything. And he was willing to share the gospel with her, and she became a believer in that place. We know that Jesus talked to the Syrophoenician woman, the religious leaders, the rich young ruler. The crowds heard him gladly. Over and over and over we see Jesus having these meaningful conversations with what is eternal life? How does one find it? What is the living water? How is one born again? And he was willing to have those conversations. And I would point this out, that when he's hanging on a cross of all places, he has time for a conversation with a criminal dying next to him who finally sees and recognizes him for who he is, Lord of lords and King of kings. And he says, Lord, remember me when, when you come into your kingdom. And he said, this day you shall be with me in paradise. He had time for a conversation. We don't have all of the content of that, but that's the summation of what the gospel writers gave us of that, is that that man on the cross next to Jesus finally came to faith, and Jesus had time and concern about this man's soul. He cared about the souls of people. We see in the gospels John uh, the Baptist baptizing and preaching at the Jordan River and telling people about this coming Messiah, and he says to Andrew, one of his disciples at that point, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world, right? And what did Andrew immediately go out and do? Andrew went and found his brother Simon Peter and said, We have found the Christ. We have found the one who the Scriptures told about. And then the next person we see is Philip being called to follow Jesus. What does Philip immediately do? And Philip immediately went and found Nathanael and told him, we have found the Messiah. If you move to the book of Acts, you see, you see Philip later having time, being drawn by the Holy Spirit up to this Ethiopian eunuch and sharing with him from the Old Testament, which is all they had at that point. The New Testament wasn't written. And showing him how... Jesus was the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament. And that Philippian eunuch said, what hinders me from being baptized? And he said, only that you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they went down, and he baptized him, and then the Spirit caught Philip away. You see, those kind of conversations were the essence of their lives. And not just because they were disciples. They were all just followers of Jesus, learning who this Jesus was and what it meant to be his his follower. We see um, Paul taking time there when he's in prison and the earthquake opens, you know, all of the cells and all the, all the doors in the prison and, the, and, and that Roman prison guard is going to kill himself and he rushes in and he says, do thyself no harm. And he preaches to him and tells him about Jesus and he says, what must I do to be saved? He says, only that you believe in the name of Jesus Christ. He has time for a Roman prison guard who's been keeping him in chains under lock and key. And then Peter has that dream on, on the rooftop at Joppa where the sheet comes down and, and, and God keeps saying, rise up, kill, and eat. And he says, no, I can't. It's unclean. He says, don't call unclean what I've called clean. 
and he was trying to help him understand that Peter thought the Gentiles were unclean and couldn't receive the same salvation he had received. And he finally gets it that God is a savior of the whole world, not just of the Jewish people. And he gets up and he's faithful and he goes to Cornelius' house, the leader of the Italian band, a leader of you know hundreds of men. And he shares the gospel with Cornelius and his household and they get saved. That's the kind of thing we see over and over. You know, all of these people witnessing. Someone has said, if you want to save money on car insurance, you talk to Geico. If you want to be a believer, you share your faith because that's what believers do, right? If I could just throw that in there. (laughs) Because that's what we ought to do. It is the example we've been given in Scripture, and we see it over and over and over. A few years back, uh, at the Missouri Baptist Convention, might have been the evangelism conference, the yearly evangelism conference, but they had a guest speaker there. He was a pastor in South um, St. Louis County. Uh, His name was Phil Hunter. He was a pastor of a church not much bigger than this. Uh, But in one year, their church baptized over 200 people. That meant 200 people came to faith in Jesus Christ. Of course, everyone wanted to know, how did you do it? How did you do that? You know, that's that's what pastors want to know. How in the world did that happen? You know, what was your plan? Did you use, you know, some uh, witnessing plan. He said, no, it was really very organic and, and very simple. But he said, first of all, among the staff and among the church, we developed an attitude and our motto was no more excuses. No more excuse for not sharing our faith, right? And then they taught their people how to open up a spiritual conversation. And this is the one main question that if you wanted to boil it down, if you wanted to write it down, it was this. Hey, if you're interested in finding out more about what the Bible's really all about and who Jesus is, I'd be willing to meet with you and talk about that. Was that something you'd be interested in? It's that simple. And then they would set an appointment, whether it was a coffee shop or the church office, at that person's home, and they had multiple meetings and conversations, and then they had time to unpack the gospel and what that meant and how to be saved and what a person needed to believe. Hey, would you be interested in learning more about what the Bible really means and who Jesus is? If you were, I'd be willing to to do that if you were interested. And and people just accepted that simple invitation. It wasn't hard. And so over that year, 200 people came to Christ. Now, I know St. Francis of Assisi was a great Christian, and he he was given sainthood and everything, And he said that share the gospel at all times and when necessary use words. And I know what he meant, that when you do good, eventually God comes up and we should be doing good in our communities. We should be serving our communities and people around us because when we do good, eventually God comes up. But we do need to use words because the gospel is communicated in words. And I believe Paul says something in Romans 10 to the effect of faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we have to say it. We have to share it. We have to give a verbal witness to what we are trying to communicate. And that's what that's what we need is people saying, okay, I'll have this conversation. I'll ask someone if they'd like to know more about what the Bible's really about and who Jesus is as the Bible presents him and have that meeting with them. Now, secondly... I don't want you to miss the spirit and the attitude with which we are to share the gospel with people. Look back at verse 15 of our passage. 
Verse 15, if you will. He says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet what? With gentleness and reverence. How many of you have known people who are very confrontational in everything they do? You know, they just rub the cat the wrong way. You know, that's not what we're to be, right? We don't want to be the abrasive person. We don't want to be the arrogant person. We don't want people to walk away saying, you know, that Christian was a real turkey, you know? If that's what being a Christian is, I really don't want to act like that. I don't want to have that attitude. I want to have that sense of of arrogance. You know, there's a humility we bring to these conversations. And we're not just listening to them so we can say our little piece. We're actually listening to them because we care about them and we truly want to know where they are spiritually and what they believe and the experiences that have shaped them in their life. We really do want to listen with humility. And when we share, we need to share with that same reverence and gentleness and humility. The gospel, we, we, it's not up to us, right? I mean, the gospel is powerful enough. Paul said the gospel is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes, right? It, we don't have to worry about the gospel not working if we don't present it right. It works just fine. In fact, there was a guy named Bill Fay. How many of you have ever heard of Bill Fay? He wrote uh, Share Jesus Without an Argument, How to Share Jesus Without an Argument. But before he became a Christian, he was into prostitution, gun running, drugs. He was a bad dude. He was on the wrong side of the law. He didn't know anything about Jesus. He didn't care anything about the gospel. But what he said was is that throughout his life, Christians that he knew would attempt to share their faith. And he said some of them bungled it so bad and they were so nervous and so self-conscious. But he said, you know what? Every one of those witnesses brought conviction in my heart and moved me a little closer to accepting Christ until I finally did. And by the way, the average person hears the gospel around seven times before he or she receives it. So this is something you need to be aware of. So let me, let me just kind of give you some, some pointers about effective evangelism, all right? If you're writing these down, first of all, successful witnessing is just sharing your faith and leaving the results to God. It's not how persuasive you are, right? Paul got all eloquent and persuasive on Mars Hill, and it was a total failure. So after that, what he said to the Corinthians was, and I determined to know nothing when among you except Christ and him crucified, right? That, you know, So he kind of finally got it. The, the gospel is powerful enough. Successful witnessing is sharing your faith and leaving the results to God. Secondly, if you're saved, you have a testimony. You have a story to share with an unchurched or lost person. If you're saved, you should have a story about how you came to faith in Christ, what your life was like before Christ, what led you to Christ, and what your life is like since you came to Christ and how he has made it a different life. That you were, You're on a completely different trajectory. And we know it's not all wonderful and roses. We know that. Life is still tough as a believer. Um, 
Salvation is not immunity from your humanity. You're still going to be fighting the, the flesh, right? But you know that your life is categorically, fundamentally better and different now that you know Jesus. So if you're a believer, you have a story. Don't say, I don't know what to share. Well, if you don't have a story, if you don't have a, of something of how you came to Christ and when you, you know, realized that you were a sinner and that you needed what he offered on the cross, if you don't have that, we need to talk. You know, people talk a lot about unregenerate church membership, and those are the people who maybe just are enculturated Christians who really just kind of went through the motions but never understood the, the real meaning of what it means to be a follower of Christ and to trust in his blood. If you're saved, you have a story. Third, it's impossible to share the gospel with the wrong person. Why is that? Because if they're a believer, you've found a new brother or sister in Christ, haven't you? And if they're not a, a believer, they desperately needed to hear that. More than any other message in the world, they needed to hear about Christ. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And there's no other name given under heaven whereby men must be saved except the name of Jesus. So there's no wrong person that you can share the gospel with. And then D, discover every person in your sphere of influence and share Christ with them. Write down their names and begin praying with them. And this is where it gets hard. This is where it takes you having some Monday morning intentionality. You have a plan and you have a burden that, yes, it is my responsibility to share my faith with people, to have those conversations, to bring that up in a graceful, in a humble, in a reverent, right, in a gentle way, but I'm going to do that. So there's a lot of ways to do that. You can, get a, you can get a prayer journal, and you can start writing down names of people in the prayer journal that you know that don't know Christ, or you're not sure, right? Or the way that I like is this new thing that um, our church at Fellowship Greenwood has done called the Art of Neighboring, and I did this in both neighborhoods that I've lived in now, and I love it. And uh, you can order these. They're not expensive. This is a refrigerator magnet. Don't quite stick to that. Sticks to the fridge. And you're in the middle. This is your house. And so basically you just go around and you, as you learn the names of your neighbors, if you don't know them, which when I moved in I didn't know anybody. And I just started walking the dog and introducing myself. And... Uh, and little by little, you learn a little more about folks, and then I'd run home while I was remembering their name, and I'd jot it down, right? And then I and then I pray for them, and then I look for opportunities to serve them. And I could give you multiple examples. I'm not going to pat myself on the back or anything. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just trying to give you an example of how it works. But the the plan of this is, and here's the beauty of 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 the effectiveness of sharing your faith is that if you're already a friend or a, a good strong acquaintance with someone, you've only got to bridge a gap about this big for them to hear the gospel, right? If you go knocking cold turkey on doors, and I'm not against that. I used to do it throughout my ministry, and there's a way to do that too uh, that's effective, but you're a lot less successful in getting conversations started because they don't know who you are. I mean, are you some kind of weird person? Are you with a cold? Are you selling something? What do you want? That doesn't, that's a harder one to do today in the culture that we live. You kind of get away with that in rural America. You can get away with that Pleasant Hill. Probably not going to get away with that, uh, I don't know, Lee Summit or, or uh, Overland Park. It's just not going to You can do it. It just, it's not as effective. But the, the point of this is 
And what the guys who kind of developed this out in Denver, Colorado found was that when people in their church really did this, that people moved from being a stranger, maybe I should go this way, okay, moved from being a stranger to an acquaintance to a friend. When someone is a stranger, the gap is this big to effectively communicate Christ with them. When the gap is this big, it's a lot easier. And they're asking you about it. And I've had neighbors ask me about my faith and, uh, you know, what I believe, and I've been able to share, and uh, it's just been a, an incredible experience. I, I'd take too long telling you the stories uh, from the time that I did this in Greenwood and now in um, Lee Summit where I live now, but this is very effective, but it, it gives me some intention out because, you know what, I go to the refrigerator a lot. I, I'm working on being an archbishop right here, I'm telling you, uh, and every time we go to the refrigerator, we were reminded, okay, I need to be praying for them. I wonder how I can serve them. I wonder where they are spiritually. And we need a plan, folks. We definitely need a plan. Now, I want to share one last thing that's more of a church-wide way of doing evangelism, an all-church strategy of evangelism. I'm not trying to give Roger anything else to do. I'm not trying to... Uh, force him into this kind of plan. I'm just sharing it that, uh, that a lot of churches are beginning to focus on developing multiple small groups. Um, there's a group called KC Underground that uh, is an offshoot of Westside Family and Lenexa and, and Dan Sutherland's church. You know, he has spawned about four church planning movements, by the way. Uh, New City Churches and uh, KC Underground are two of them. I don't know the other two, but I know that he has spawned about uh, he's planted about 21 churches in the Kansas City metro area and about 400 overseas and he simply has this concept of uh, Casey Underground does of if if you as a church were to commit to doing something like this and you begin to develop small groups both here at church in your neighborhood maybe at your workplace and you almost become quote the the leader the the pastor of that if you will you don't have to have a seminary degree or anything, but you just have to have a concern for people and, uh, and kind of coordinate this thing and meet from time to time and do a simple Bible study. Um, the ones that um, uh, they do out in Idaho, uh, the True Life Discipleship Method is they simply read a gospel passage and they say, what is the Bible saying? And if the leader doesn't know, he says, you know what, I'll find out from our pastor and next week I'll tell you what I didn't know this week. But usually it's pretty straightforward. Right, and they baptized four thousand people in about two years out there in Idaho doing this, and this alone could transform this church and this community if people took it serious. If someone would say, "Look, I'm going to be the pastor of, I'm going to be the the chaplain, if you will, of my neighborhood, and I'm going to get to know my neighbors, I'm going to pray for my neighbors, I'm going to figure out where they are spiritually, I'm going to serve my neighbors every time I get an opportunity, and this makes an incredible difference." In, in the lives of people. And that's how they have started multiple churches. They just keep growing because every time you add another group, you've added another 10 to 12 people and, you know, and the children. So, and then they get together on a once-a-month basis at one central location for a worship. So I, I'm, I'm sorry I've, I've quit preaching. I, I told you this was like part sermon and part seminar, but I want you to get these concepts. I want you to realize that we do have a biblical responsibility to do this. And I want to close with kind of the story of um, St. Patrick. And uh, a lot of people just know that they, 
they get a St. Patty's shake at McDonald's that's green uh, during St. Patty's Day and that they dye the river green in Chicago and things like that. But what they don't realize is the impact this guy had not only on Ireland but on all of civilization at, at the time. There was a guy named Thomas Cahill who wrote a book entitled How St. Patrick Saved Civilization. Now, it's an overstatement, and he knows that, but it, it's close. It really, the gospel saved civilization. Because what happened was, when he was 16, he was carried away uh, by the barbaric people of Ireland who was occupying that nation at the time, and, uh, and he was forced to be a slave uh, for several years. And eventually, he was able to escape his captors, and he fled back, and he found his family in England again, you know, much older, uh, but uh, in time, God called him to the ministry. And of all things, what he felt like God was calling him to was to go back and be a missionary to the very people who had captured him and enslaved him and mistreated him in Ireland. These barbaric people who were just spreading across Europe, there was, there was you know, paganism, there was bloodshed, there was just, you know, looting and pillaging, and civilization and the rule of law was just about out the window. And, and, and so what St. Patrick and the Celtic Christians did was they would move into these villages and cities of Ireland, and they would buy parcels of land and build houses next to the city, right? And then they would just live their Christian life. And it wasn't long before people were saying, you know, there's a difference in your life. There's a better quality to your life. You you don't worry as much. You're happier than me. Your marriage is better than mine. What is the deal? And, of course, the secret was Christ, right? Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what was making their lives uh, of greater quality. And so they would share Christ. And these villages would, many of them, come to Christ. This great revival spread across Europe, and it saved a big part of civilization from all of this anarchy and, and paganism and, and, you know, just this pillaging and, and, and all this kind of stuff going on. And so that, that, that's his uh, you know, premise for his book, that how St. Patrick saved civilization. Well, he didn't. The gospel did. But we're the ones who live it out. We're the human uh, you know, vehicles through which God sends the message. Right? The Holy Spirit is working. The Holy Spirit is drawing, but he's still counting on us to share the message about Jesus. That is our role. That's why we exist as a church. We're not here just to have friends and, you know, sweet fellowship and sing good songs. It's all important. But if we forget at the end of the day that our true mission is to be missionaries where we're planted, where God has put us in our world, then we're missing it, folks. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, right? He said, make disciples. Teaching them to obey all that I observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the earth. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And I, sometimes I think that we just forget that, that our salvation is not just for us. It's a wonderful gift. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. We have that eternal life, but it's not just ours to hoard and to hold to ourselves, is it? It's ours to share. And we ought to take as many people with us as we can to heaven. There's a, one of our churches in our association increasing the traffic to heaven. I love that. That's what we ought to be about. And we don't ever want to forget that. But that's what we're about. Folks, that's my challenge to you this morning. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you, yet with 
reverence, and gentleness. Are you ready? Will you develop that plan, that intentionality, that concern? Will you understand that you do have a biblical responsibility to share your faith? And it, I, I know we're not all going to do that on an equal level. I get that. But we all have that responsibility. At some level, there's going to be opportunity. If we're looking for them, if we're praying for them, if we're prepared for them, you're going to get those opportunities. I guarantee it. I'm going to have you just bow your heads right now. Paul's going to come. And I don't know what the Lord is dealing with you about this morning. Um, I believe there were cards around. But if you needed to talk with someone about a spiritual matter, uh, Daryl and uh, John and Mike uh, are here. I'm here. There's any number of us that could counsel with you about spiritual things. And you, you need to do business with God. Do that before you leave this place today. But maybe you just need to have a conversation this week. Well, then say something to me or John or Daryl or one of those guys on the way out and just say, hey, I, I need... There's something going on in my life. I just need some of your perspective. I need to pray and puzzle with this with someone else. Do that. Will you Will you commit to do that? Let me lead us in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for your word that challenges us to share our faith with others. I know I don't do it enough. But, Lord, I want to hold myself accountable to know my neighbors, to love my neighbors, to serve my neighbors and ultimately to love them the most by sharing your life-giving message with them, the gospel. It's the greatest act of love that we can do toward another human being is to share the gospel of salvation. Let me be committed to that, and let all of us who have been in the hearing of this message today give some serious, profound thought to that challenge today. Lord, we love you and we thank you for being the Savior, for reaching out. You be lifted up, you draw them into yourself. We know that you're continually through the Holy Spirit drawing. We know that your Holy Spirit is leading people into truth. We, we just need to share the truth. The gospel is powerful enough. We don't have to add anything to it. We don't have to lean on people. We don't have to pressure anyone. We just need to lay it out there and let it do its work. We trust you. Lord, thank you for the day, the time together, the blessings of this season, how good you are to us in our own lives. We always want to acknowledge you as a giver of every good gift, the Father of lights, one whom there is no shadow of turning. We love you, Lord. We know that every good gift comes from you, especially salvation. Bless this gathering and this message today, and we ask it in Christ's name. And God's people said, Amen.